All right, we'll get started here. Good to see you all again. We have a beautiful chapter this morning. The palace beautiful. Um, no, it, it is one of my favorite chapters, so we'll spend some time looking at that. As always, let me begin with a word of prayer, and we will jump in. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, your unmerited grace towards us that we freely see in the work of your Son. Or as Galatians says, it's been, you've been publicly portrayed as crucified. It's as if we were there. Lord, we are witnesses to your work for us on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we would live with a um, gospel-centered focus, focused on the cross, always fixed in our minds, uh, living in light of what you have done. Father, as we look this morning, looking at um, the palace beautiful, a metaphor for your church, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, uh, we'd be um, reproved and rebuked where we need to be, and that we would see the beautiful gift that your bride is, your church. pray that you would bless this time. You're going to be pray, amen. All right. As always, we'll do a quick recap. And uh, I've kept you guys late like the last two or three times, so I'm trying to not do that. We're just doing the Palace Beautiful this morning, so we'll, we'll try to not go until 10 or something like that, so... Uh, Last week, we saw Christian finally arrive at the place of deliverance, right? He finally comes to the cross. Probably the most famous scene in Pilgrim's Progress, right? Um, You know, you've never read it or something like that. You know, well, this guy has a burden and it falls off of the cross. Um, And we saw that last week his burden is removed. He gains a, probably what's going on there is a fuller understanding of the gospel. Um, He's growing in sanctification ever since he comes through the wicket gate, but there's this uh, particular moment that the Lord uses to grow him even more. I think that's what's going on there. He receives the seal of the Holy Spirit. Um, He's clothed in righteous garments, um, uh, referring to, um, you know, the perfect righteousness of Christ. That is what he's clothed with um, there. And again, I, I don't think it's that he's actually, I think he's actually, in other words, He's declared righteous at the wicked gate, right? So he has Christ's righteousness imputed to him. He doesn't have a full understanding of what that means when he comes to the cross. Does that make sense? Um, I think that's probably what's going on there. We reviewed some of uh, these points. Here's from Derek Thomas, uh, faithful pastor back east. Just three points um, that he had here on the cross. The burden of sin is lifted at Calvary. Um, That is when, you know, in the moment of justification, that burden is removed for much of us. Um, oftentimes, though, throughout the Christian life, it seems like that monkey on the back is still there. Um, and so we continue to have to go back to the cross. So it's lifted there initially, and I would argue progressively throughout the Christian life, um, it's still lifted there. A great exchange take place at Calvary. Um, his righteousness for our sins, a beautiful truth there. And then assurance of salvation is found at Calvary, probably what Bunyan is uh, mainly trying to allude to there. He continues on his journey. He comes across these guys, simple sloth and presumption. Again, I think with a scene like this, it's a warning for all of us that we would not uh, presume, that we would not be slothful, that we would not be simple in our Christian walk, lest we end up like these guys. He then comes across formalist and hypocrisy. Right? You've got two religious men. Um, who they have, he says they've climbed over the wall of salvation. And he goes, hey, you guys didn't come through the wicked gate. Uh, The Lord is not going to allow you in to his heavenly kingdom because you did not come by Christ. And uh, there I think we can think of Roman Catholicism, uh, false cults, right? Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. Um, They have religious lives. They are very moral people, but they have not come 
by Christ. They have climbed over uh, the wall of salvation, as Bunyan would put it. And then we came to the hill difficulty, right? Um, Formalists and hypocrisy, right? They go around and they're destroyed, right? Uh, They try to take an easy route and it ends in their woe, their destruction. And Christian knows, there's a wonderful little poem there. He knows it's going to be difficult, but it's the right thing to do, right? And I just think it's a helpful illustration with sin. That's what we do. We see something difficult and we think, man, we should go the easy way. And every time we go the easy way, we realize it's actually worse than the difficult way. So let that be a reminder to all of us. So he goes up the hill. Um, He comes to a resting place, an arbor, um, where he's just supposed to take a breather and then keep going. But he actually falls asleep. And Bunyan kind of has this metaphor of spiritual sleep, right? Uh, Falling into some type of sin that uh, if we, we are not watchful and we're not awake, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we can fall into sin. And he actually has to backtrack. He has to go back because he loses his scroll. Where did I go wrong? Um, that gets him to, you know, where it's late at night and all that stuff. And I think it's just a reminder, sin makes us go back, right? We realize, man, I did this. How did I do this? I have to go back and realize, okay, here's how I prevent this from happening again, okay? And then the last thing we saw was two men running uh, back over the hill. Their names were Timorous and Mistrust. They're running back over the hill of difficulty because they see uh, a couple of lions in the way, right? So he sees the palace beautiful, um, but there's two lions in the way. I'm going to read through. This is a really short chapter um, in Horner's edition, chapter 14. Um, I'm just going to read through it and then circle back what all is going on here, okay? What's going on with the lions? Okay, and carefully proceeding, Along this very narrow part of the highway, he perceived, not far ahead, two lions that seemed to stand in the way. Then Christian realized, now I see the danger that caused mistrust and timorous to turn back and flee. Note here, though he did not detect the chains that restricted these ferocious beasts. So they're, they're not free roaming, right? Um, but he can't see that. So it looks really bad, okay? As a result, he was filled with fear and contemplated going back with them, with timorous and mistrust, for at that moment he thought that nothing but death was ahead of him. So he's scared, you know, death, certain death lies. If I keep going on this path, uh, looks like it's going to be the end of him. He keeps going, however, the porter, think of servant, something like that, named Watchful at the palace, at the palace beautiful lodge, In noticing that Christian hesitated, as if contemplating a retreat on account of the prospect of death ahead of him, called out to him, saying, Are your strength and courage so small? Don't be so afraid of the lions, since they are in fact chained. Their being there is for the purpose of testing your faith at this point in your journey, as well as for the discovery of those who are faithless. So keep in the middle of the path, and you will not be harmed. Okay. Watchful represents some type of pastor. Okay. Some type of elder pastor figure. Palace Beautiful stands for the church. Um, actually, one of the pastors later on in the uh, Delectable Mountains, one of the shepherds there, his name is also Watchful. Probably not the same guy. Um, you know, just like, does this like, whew, you know, way flash forward. But maybe, I don't know. I think he's just trying to talk about a watchful pastor, okay? Something like that. A pastoral character. And so he tells Christian the lions are chained and that they are there for the purpose of testing the genuineness of your faith. And as such, they're effective and that they scare off guys like Timorous and Mistrust, right? They actually do that. They run back. Their faith is not genuine. And so they turn away. Christian heeds his advice. And, you know, it says as though the lions, they roar, they snarl at him. They're trying to get him. They cannot harm him. Okay. And he continues on his way 
and he comes to the palace beautiful. So maybe you're thinking, what all is going on here? What are these lions? Okay, well, think through this. Palace beautiful refers to the church. Christian want to enters, want, wants to enter the church. Okay, that's what he's trying to do, trying to gain access to the church. But he's facing fearful and savage opposition to him joining that church. You tracking with me? Okay. So I think we're right to step back and say and think, okay, what stands opposed to Christ's church? Okay. And especially we want to start with, in Bunyan's context, what does he have in mind as those forces, those lions that stood against the church? And once we do that, we can actually step back and think through, okay, for our context and setting, what are those forces, those powers, that opposition that stands against the church? In Bunyan's day, remember, he's a non-conforming Baptist, okay? So he's not a part of the established church, right? Charles II comes back to power, 1662. He publishes uh, the Act of Uniformity, basically saying, hey, pastors in the Church of England, you have to obey or else. And as such, 2,000 Puritans, these guys are all paedo-baptists, they lose their pulpits, okay? So 2,000 pastors, that's a lot, okay? Um, they lose their pulpits. Bunyan was never a part of that because he was a Baptist. He was never a part of the established church. So he was, you know, it's like, you know, so you've got Church of England, establishment, you know, the Puritans, they're over here, they're bad, you know, according to the king's eye. It's like the Baptists are like way over here. Like it's like they're super bad, okay, because um, they're off doing their own thing, okay? Uh, and remember, what happens? Bunyan is eventually what? Put into prison because of his beliefs, okay? Um, he is imprisoned for his theological conviction. So I think it's fairly clear that the lions here represent not only, I think there's two lions, I think his two things are pretty clear, the government and the church, the established church of England. Um, those were the two forces of opposition to the true church, um, whether you're a Baptist or a Puritan or whatever. The oppression was coming from the crown uh, and also from the Anglican church. They were preaching against, and so they, they kind of go hand in hand. Does that make sense? Um, and so that is probably what Bunyan is referring to. But I find this very encouraging. Notice what? The lions are chained, right? They, they actually can't get at him. Um, and I would argue, what's he referring to? Chained by whom? God, yeah. Ultimately, God is the one who is allowing them to do, allowing the church and the state to function in this way, and he's also restraining them. Uh, they're still under his sovereign control. They can't do anything without his will, permission. In fact, they're being used for his glory. Even when we see bad governments, we can take confidence in knowing this is part of God's plan, and he's going to turn this for his glory. He's going to use this for his glory, whether that's in redemption or in judgment and condemnation. He will be glorified. And maybe you're thinking, um, you know, he says that the lions cannot harm. The pastor's like, hey, don't, don't worry about the lions. They cannot harm you. And maybe you're thinking, hopefully, like historically, what does he mean they can't harm you? Like, they put you in prison. A hundred years ago, with Bloody Mary, they were burning Christians at the stake. Okay, at least we're not there, but they can still harm us. Um, what is Bunyan alluding to there? I think, um, and you see this all throughout history, right? Christ's people have always been persecuted. So what does he mean they cannot harm you? I think it just goes back to what Paul says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Like, we think it's harm, uh, and the world certainly thinks it's harm, um, and oftentimes even persecuting us to the point of death, but the Bible says what? To, part, to depart and be with Christ, that's far better, okay? Uh, so they can't actually do us harm. In fact, it's often when the church is most persecuted and oppressed that it grows the most, um, just how the Lord works in that way. So kind of that question for us this morning, I wanted to step back. I think you have this there. What are the lions in our day? What are those satanic 
engines of opposition to Christ's church. Thinking mainly here of America, but certainly we can think throughout the world. Um, and our context, obviously, is different from other places around the world. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're getting there. I think if we look throughout history, um, we're very quick to go, man, it's really bad. But especially if you look around the world and, I mean, what's going on in China, what's going on in um, closed countries like that, it's certainly not as bad as it could be. Um, I would argue government oppression is definitely not the main thing, but it certainly is there, and it's certainly getting there. So let me go. Liz? Yeah, the American dream can very much be a, uh, you know, we talk about sloth, the character, a slothful thing where, you know, and we're just like simple. We're not even being awakened to the realities of um, sin, death, and hell because we're not thinking about that because everything's great. Everything's great in our lives. So certainly uh, prosperity can be one. Travis? For sure. Yeah, no, you have satanic Opposition from false gospels. Yep. Yeah. Very true. That was actually one I was going to point out. Yep. Anyone else? I thought I saw someone else's hand. Oh. I don't know if this is like, you know, like just, you know, tweaking the truth, you know? Yeah, yeah, typically it's not the huge jump, it's the slow walking away, you know, it's not a, we're rejecting, you know, the resurrection of Christ, that does happen, but it's a slow, yeah. Right. Accept people and love people, but they're going away from the truth. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Someone else back here? Yeah, no, good. Yeah, I, I wanted to say, sorry, Haley, go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, I want to move on a little bit. But yeah, I was going to say the number one thing that came to my mind thinking through what is, you know, a line of opposition to the church, I think is, it's not necessarily governmental or political as in Bunyan's Day, but it's far more cultural. Um, and my mind just ran to the, just the whole LGBTQ agenda. Um, and I mean, you see, like, 
that was there, you know, if you watch sitcoms or whatever, you'll see in the 80s and 90s. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, you've got the homo guy, stuff like this, it's kind of funny. Um, it wasn't at the like forefront of our culture though. Now you flash forward to the Obergefell decision and it's just like, I mean, just think about it, in like five, 10 years, it's gone, like it is the hot topic in our culture, right? And it is the thing that's just changing across institutions. And Colleen, you're exactly right. Churches are now having to reconcile Okay, do we, are, are we going to hold the biblical morality and biblical teaching or not? Um, and I think this coincides with, especially my generation, the younger generation, a big thing for us is just cultural acceptance. I want to fit in. I want to, you know, please my peer group, stuff like that. We're very much in an honor-shame culture, right? I mean, it's, it's honorable in the culture's eyes to accept the LGBTQ agenda. It is shameful if you reject it um, and you'll be canceled from certain things. You see what I'm saying? And so I, I really think that it's going to get worse um, in our culture is that that's going to be one of the main oppositions for the church is biblical morality, especially on that issue. So good stuff. There's a lot of lines we could mention. Okay, so just want to move on here. Now we come to chapter 15. Chapter 15, Christian resides at the palace. Beautiful. As I've said, this is a picture of the church. And I want to ask a question for us to think about, and I'm kind of presuming uh, maybe I shouldn't have presumed, but you'll see that on the notes there. Why do we typically not think of the church as the palace beautiful? And maybe you're like, I do. I, it's, I think a church on like beautiful palace. Um, our churches aren't beautiful like they're in Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, yeah, I think that's not exactly Bunyan's point because a nonconforming Baptist church would not have a beautiful building, right? Like they're meeting in a home where it's just like four walls and a roof, you know what I mean? But yes, very true. In mainland Europe, they have very... Some of the gothic kind of old, I do not like some of that architecture. I love just the simple stuff. But there are some beautiful churches out there. Okay. But, but I don't know. Do you guys think of the church as the palace beautiful? And if, and if you don't, why not? Sin. Okay. As in your own sin or just yeah, yeah, the church is so like sinful? Okay, so we see the sinful aspects of the church far more than the grace, Sometimes. possibly. Okay, David. I think we just focus on what's. Um, we don't focus on what's permanent. Like God is everlasting, and like He is the only true shelter. Right? He's, mm. the, he's the only thing that lasts forever. But we focus on like how things look, and mm. um, you know, even our we get so enveloped in our own lives that we're not really thinking about the aspects of the church. Yeah. That's good. Anyone else? To David, but more so, uh, I, was, I was just raised, my, my dad just had such a big impact on my life, and he just always was telling us, this is not our home, this is not our home, this is not our home, so it doesn't matter what is on or in this earth, mm -hmm. this isn't the place for us, so although I appreciate beauty and architecture for mm -hmm. churches, I don't recognize, like, I don't see that. I just see, <coughs> like, God is where his people are, so it doesn't matter what the building looks like. So, right. on a very literal level of right. beautiful palace, I don't think of anything as necessarily, like, beautiful in the way that heaven will be. So right. I'm never really thinking about what this temporal building looks like. Right. Yeah, and just to clarify, I do not think Bunny is talking about a building at all. When he says the palace beautiful... 
referring to the church. He's talking about people. I don't think he's talking about it because, I mean, they would, he would not have been in a church that was beautiful at all. Um, they would have been in a, what we would say is, you know, an underground church. Um, so what he is talking about is the fellowship of the saints, the gathering of God's people together to sit under the preaching of the word, to observe the ordinances, to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That gathering is be- like a beautiful palace. Okay, so um, and we'll, we'll talk about this more at the end, but I think that's a very helpful rebuke for us because I think we typically think of the church. Um, I think kind of, Natalie, like what you're saying, I'm far more, I tend to focus on the negative rather than the positive. I'm just a glass half empty type guy, but I just think of the problems at the church, man, we've got this person, they're doing this, and, um, you know, I played the wrong chords, and music wasn't great this morning, and just, you know, it's just, blah, okay? I tend to go that way than I do, man, God, thank you for saving this person. We do have those moments, right? But am I the only one that does that? Like, I just, I tend to go that way, okay? Uh, and I think this is a very helpful reminder for us to go the other way. Lamar? What I think of is uh, where Paul talks about um, what should be done in the church, you know, the order of the church and, and gifts and, and yeah. how these things should be worked out. It, it says all, everything should be done for edification. And the yeah. word edification, you know, like it referred to edifice, <coughs> building of, I think of a building, yeah. you know, when Right. And that's, that is the church. Right. The right. We right. We should build one another up. Right. Yeah. More conform to the image of Christ. Uh, just another side point here I wanted to mention. Remember, Bunny was in prison for 12 years. Okay. So when you're gone from your church for 12 years, I think you're going to have more positive thoughts. Okay. I mean, we got a very, very, I almost hate to bring this up. We got a very, very small picture of this during COVID. Right. Remember, we didn't meet for like a month or two, and everyone was like, I just want to go to church. I just want, maybe that was just me. Um, I think that was pretty much everyone, right? And, you know, I think we were far more likely in that place to think of the church as the palace beautiful, right? Because, man, we missed each other. We just wanted to gather together. Who cares, you know, about the shortcomings of this person or whatever? Like, I'm just so glad to see you, and we can sing. And You see what I'm saying? So... That's a good reminder, okay? Um, to, to, yeah? Real quick, I was just going to say, church might not be a palace beautiful for you if you come at it with a consumer mentality as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. I'm not playing my playlist up there. I didn't like the coffee. Yeah. The message wasn't motivating to me. Yeah. You mind. make the coffee, right? Well, so it's, yeah. you know. <laughs> Actually, Colleen does. Just to put <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem, guys. I, mean, I don't know. Makes this up. Yeah, but no, you're right. Yeah, if if you if you come to the church as in what can I get from it, you're never going to be satisfied, and you're never going to yeah, you're not going to think of it as a beautiful palace. But if you think of it as the household of the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation, um, I think you're going to see it as a beautiful palace. So, good stuff, good stuff. Um, we should have time to talk about that a little more at the end. Back to the chapter here. Christian comes to the porter, uh, the doorman named Watchful, like I said, a pastoral character. He alludes to Genesis 9.27 here. Maybe you guys are reading along, and you're like me, and you're like, I don't know exactly what Bunyan's trying to say here. This is kind of interesting. Um, he quotes Genesis 9.27, talking about Japheth, uh, Shem, and Ham. Canaan is in context there, too. What Bunyan seems to be saying is this, is that Japheth um, is a Gentile line, Shem is the true Hebrew Israelite line, and that now um, 
Bunyan has, or a Christian in the story, has left the line of Japheth and joined the line of Shem. Okay, that's what he's trying to say. Um, the only problem is that I don't think that's what Genesis 9, 27 is talking about. Um, I actually was looking at some commentaries this week, so I was like, what is actually being said in this passage? And faithful guys are divided on it, because it is a complicated passage, but they don't think it's saying what Bunyan's trying to say. Um, just in context there, both Shem and Japheth are blessed, okay? Um, that's very important. Um, this is kind of that awkward scene, remember, when Ham sees Noah's nakedness and Canaan is then cursed, Shem and Japheth are blessed. Um, so Bunny is correct in saying that, you know, from the line of Shem comes Abraham, David, and then eventually Jesus Christ. But it's not that Japheth is a cursed Gentile and that, you know, the Gentiles now join the line. They leave behind their Japhethness and are now Semites, okay? They're Shemites. You see what I'm trying to say? So I get his point. It makes a really great sermon. I don't think that's what the passage is actually saying. Okay, so if you want to talk about that later, that's fine. I just wanted to touch on that. Okay, watch for last him. Uh, you know, why have you come so late? It's late at night. It's dark. What in the world happened? He recounts the hill of difficulty. You know, I lost this. I had to backtrack all this stuff. Okay. Watchful, the porter. He says here, this is page 59, I believe. Well, I will call out for one of the virgins who live here. If your conversation is to her liking, she will invite you to join the rest of the family. That is in accordance with the rules of the house. What is going on here? Christian's going through the church membership process. Um, he's going to call out this lady, and she's going to see if your testimony sounds right. Uh, there are rules of the house, as he says, that one must agree to to be a part of the Palace Beautiful and to join the rest of the family. Um, and this is just historical. Um, in the Baptist church in Bedford, which Bunyan was a part of, in order to join that church, you had to share your testimony publicly. You had to say, hey, here's who I was. This is what I've done. Here's how the work of Christ has worked in me. And now I'm seeking to follow and honor the Lord you know, if they haven't been baptized, then they baptize them, okay? And that's just, by and large, why does Crossway do that? Well, one, we think it's biblical, but also just as a, this has just been the practice of Baptist churches throughout history. People share their testimonies. If they're not baptized, they are baptized. Uh, a lady named Discretion comes and essentially asks him his testimony. Uh, you see this here, right? Then she asked him uh, from where he had come and where he was going. So he told her, right? Past him. So also asked him how he had entered into the way. And he told her, that's his conversion, justification. Then she asked him what he had seen and encountered along the way. And he told her. So he was just giving her, you know, this was my life as a pilgrim. Uh, Finally, she asked his name. And to this he replied, it is Christian. And I now have an even greater desire to reside here tonight because according to what I now understand, this place was built by the Lord of the hill for the relief of pilgrims, right? Christ will build his church, Matthew 16. There you have that. So she smiled, though tears welled up in her eyes. I think just a sweet phrase, right? Um, how many of us, you know, you're hearing testimonies in church and you're just moved emotionally and you cry? I don't know. Or maybe you're, you know, if you're manly, I didn't cry, but, you know, your eyes get wet, right? Um, that's great, right? That's sweet. Um, I, I think we understand that, hearing God work in other people. She loves what she hears, uh, believes he's a genuine Christian, so she goes, she gets the rest of the family. The only other three characters that are named are women, okay, um, in the church here. Prudence, piety, and charity, okay? Now, at this point, don't get weird, okay? Some people have moved from this as like, oh, like, Bunyan believed in, like, egalitarianism, like, women pastors, um, and also, no, okay? Um, his other writings make that very clear, okay, that he did not believe that, okay? It's nowhere to be found. That's not the point. So why the, image, why the imagery of women here, okay? 
Well, number one, that's often how the church is described, right? What is the church? The bride of Christ, okay? A woman, okay? Um, I also just think women are beautiful and elegant. Guys are not, okay? Um, so, yeah. Ladies, you guys get that. Hey, you're, you're the beautiful picture there. That's great. Um, I, I think that's all he's doing in, in this imagery here. Number two, and another point here, I think this is not a coincidence. If you guys remember, in Grace Abounding, when he comes to the Bedford Church, and he's, you know, well, he's just coming, walking through town, and he hears people talking about Christ, who is it? Do you remember I mentioned this? It's three or four women, is what he says, okay? He heard four women talking about the new birth and Christ and what it means to be justified and all this stuff, and he's moved, okay? Well, what do you have here? Four women total, right? So it's just, I, I think the parallels are very clear. He's just mentioning, um, you know, it's an autobiographical allusion back to his own uh, conversion, how the Lord used four women to awaken him to a spiritual condition. And so he enters into conversation uh, with these three women. We're not going to spend equal time on all of them. Uh, Here we see a picture of what church life is like, okay? This is what uh, type of conversations ought to be common in church fellowship amongst God's people. Piety is first, okay? She goes first. They kind of go over um, Christian's journey so far, right? He's thankful uh, to be able to have a spiritual conversation with her. He recounts his testimony again. Um, again, I think just practical takeaway, it's good for us to consider how the Lord has saved us, how he's worked in our lives, and to talk about that with one another, okay? I just want to focus on one aspect of their conversation at the end. Piety asks uh, him, and what else did you see along the way? Christian, see. Why, I had only gone a short distance ahead when I saw, key phrase here, as it were in my mind, a man hang bleeding on the tree. And the very sight of him made my burden fall off from my back, uh, which load had caused me to groan so much. Yes, it did actually drop from off my back. It was so astonishing for me because I had never seen such a thing before. I think you see more of what Bunyan means by talking about a cross-centered life and what actually happens at the cross. If you remember last week, He doesn't actually mention anything about seeing a man on the cross. He just mentions that he comes to the cross, okay? And at the side of the cross, his burden falls off. But by faith, he sees, as it were, in his mind, Christ on the tree, right? He understands the significance of what happened at the cross, okay? It's not some weird, you know, like I mentioned this, I think, you know, like Roman Catholic theology, where it's just like, you need to look at a literal wooden cross, and that's going to be a means of grace. No, 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 okay? He's talking about clearly receiving in our minds and understanding, believing by faith what Christ has done on our behalf. I don't think, I've already mentioned this, I don't think this is unique to him. Uh, We all must behold by faith Christ on the cross. Uh, Paul actually rebukes the Galatians for this point. You guys remember Galatians 3, 1, right? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's a very powerful verse there. The Galatians weren't there when Christ was crucified, right? They weren't literally there. But he's saying that through the preaching of the gospel, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's as if you were there, okay? And we all, likewise, by faith, our eyes see, and we are witnesses, and we are accountable to the work of Christ on the cross. Does that make sense? Bunyan's point there? I particularly like Christian's conversation here with prudence, okay? Um, You could almost call this kind of you know, like Christian living 101, dealing with sin, that's much more of the emphasis here. I wanted to kind of go through most of this conversation here. I think it's very practical, very helpful. Prudence says, 
Do you sometimes think of the country from which you originally came? Do you think, you know, of your, of your back life, you know, what your uh, past life, what has happened in the past? Christian, yes, but with much shame and loathing, right? It's not that you become a Christian and the Lord gives you, uh, was it in the Matrix, you know, like red pill, blue pill, I can't remember which ones, like one you'll just forget everything. It's not how that works, okay? Uh, you still remember stuff. You tracking with me? Okay. You don't just have your memory completely erased. Yes, but with much shame and loathing. Truly, if I had a deep yearning for that country, then I might well have taken the opportunity to return. He doesn't have a deep yearning to go back. Christ has worked in him. But now my heart desires a better country. That is a heavenly realm. Quotes there, Hebrews 11, right? Therefore, I prefer to press on. You know, this whole section is just a reminder that though our sin has been defeated, it still affects us, right? And how we live the Christian life. We still have to fight against the old man uh, that constantly is fighting against us. Prudence, do you not still carry with you in your mind some recollection of the things that you were formerly involved with? Christian, yes, but greatly against my will, and especially those inward and carnal reasonings which all of my countrymen, as well as myself, were delighted to revel in. But now all those things only grieve me, right? He still deals with sin. It's still there, but there's not a satisfaction in them. There's actually, I hate this. I want to be done with it, right? And should I be able to choose only what I think, I would choose never to think of those carnal things anymore. Yet when I would be doing that which is best, still that which is worse remains in me. Alluding to what? Romans 7, right? Very clearly there, right? The sin that he commits now only grieves him. If he could only think about righteousness, if he could only please the Lord, he would. I think that's true for all of us, right? That's what I want to do. I just can't, <laughs> right? And that's good if you're frustrated with that, right? Prudence says, do you not sometimes find that personal carnality is vanquished? Do you not, you know, triumph over these problems? That at other times was of great trouble to you, Christian? Yes, but those times of conquest over carnality are infrequent, though when they do occur, such hours are truly golden, right? We can attest to this, right? Grace does triumph. There are times when we don't sin, right? By the power of Christ's Spirit working within us, we can subdue sin um, that rises up within. We do have success in fighting against sin. And though they're not always the most frequent, we can all attest, those are glorious moments, right? We're like, I'm done with this. I, there wasn't even a problem. You know, it's just like, but typically the problem is, is we go, man, I just triumphed over that. Yeah, I'm done. And then we 1 Corinthians 10, 12, you know, let any man who t thinks that he stand take heed lest we fall. You know, we think we stand and then we fall right after that moment. Okay. Um, so let that be a reminder. I really like this last one here. Prudence says, when you experience these precious times in which carnal annoyances are vanquished, when you triumph, can you remember by what means these triumphs were obtained? How does this happen? Christian, yes. Very important here, I think. When I meditate on what I saw at the cross, that will do it. When I look at my embroidered coat, that will do it. Also, when I look inside the roll that I carry in my chest pocket, that will do it. And when my thoughts are warmly stimulated concerning where I am going, that will do it. So just notice here how he fights against sin, okay? And I think he's very biblical here. These are, you know, if you're struggling in your fight against sin, take these four weapons with you, okay? Um, he says he meditates on the truths in Scripture. That is how he conquers and kills sin, right? He focuses on the cross, what Christ has done for us. And I think this is just true, right? When our hearts and minds are filled with good biblical thoughts, we're thinking about the gospel, we're not thinking about anything else, right? It's typically not our problem. It's when we're, you know, idle, lazy or whatever, and we're entertaining other thoughts that sin creeps in and temptation. And you see what I'm saying? 
So if we're proactive on this, this is how the Lord works, right? Uh, he talks about his coat. That will do it. What's the coat stand for? Christ's righteousness. When he thinks of the imputed righteousness of Christ, uh, the scroll, that will do it. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, thinking about what uh, that, uh, the Spirit has done for us. And then finally, heaven. When he's looking forward to the glories that await uh, and meeting a Savior face to face, that will help him to fight against sin. So let that be a you know, reminder for all of us, maybe a warning. Are we using those same gospel weapons to fight the battle against sin? I think it's a very, very helpful portion there. Wonderful discourse with prudence. Charity is the last woman to speak with him. She mainly questions him about his family. It's very interesting to note um, Christian has a wife and four kids, just like Bunyan. Bunyan had a wife and four kids. Um, you just see a lot of autobiographical details that Bunyan's working in here. Um, it's a very sad, sorrowful conversation they have because his family's left behind. But take our, hey, part two, they get saved, okay? So it's sad, but the Lord saves them, okay? So that's great. I just want to point out page 65. Uh, it says that his family criticizes him for being too precise. Um, and Horner kind of has in the footnotes, they're puritanical. That was the normal um, diss, if you will, um, in 17th century England. Sometimes saying, yeah, you're just being a Puritan, puritanical, but often they were called precisionists. Okay? You're just being too precise in your walk with the Lord. Um, you care too much about holiness uh, or something along those lines. They then partake of the Lord's Supper. Then I, Bunyan, saw in my dream that they all sat talking together until supper was ready. So when the meal was prepared, they sat down to eat. The table was set with good, substantial things and with wine that was well refined. And all of their conversation at the table was about the Lord of the hill. They discussed why he came, uh, what he accomplished on the cross, what he's doing now. Uh, just a reminder, Christian knows this, right? But it's a reminder, right? And that's what the Lord's table is, right? We understand the gospel. We've heard it before, but we're reminding ourselves, right? Because we forget. We tend to um, neglect thinking about that. They go on here, for as they said, and as I believe said Christian, he did it with the loss of much blood, talking about Christ. But that which put the glory of grace into all, which he did, was the fact that he did it out of pure love for his country, his people. And besides this, there were, this is an interesting line here, there were some of the household in the church there that said they had seen and spoken with him following his death on the cross. I'm not entirely sure what Bunyan is getting at here. Um, I don't think he means that members of the church in 17th century England we're actually there when Christ was crucified, right? Because just do the math. They would have died, okay? Uh, but what I think he's saying is that through the scriptures, we do have the testimony of those who were there, right? You think of the Gospel of John, Acts, 1 Corinthians 15, talks about how Christ appeared to more than 500 people uh, at one time. In the pages of scripture, we do have those who have seen the resurrected Christ. It's as if Bunyan is saying is that, you know, the apostles, those who have seen Christ in a way through Scripture, it's like they're members of the church publicly testifying uh, to what they have seen. So, very sweet line there. They continue uh, to talk, it says, until late at night. So, you know, don't be upset if the sermon goes a little long on Sunday mornings, right? Um, I, it's, it's, it's okay. You guys can laugh at the Bible sometimes. It is funny. There's some humor in it. Acts 20, right? Paul's teaching, he says, you know, he's going late at night, right? A guy falls out of the window and dies, okay? Um, and if, it, he, he gets resurrected, okay, it's okay, so you can laugh. It's like, wow. The funny part is he gets back up and then Paul goes back in and continues preaching. Like, it's just like, wow, it's amazing. It's like, dude, they're literally falling asleep. You've gone on too long. Um, so I'll just say this. 
don't be upset if the sermon goes 15 minutes long, okay? Mike's preaching today. Sometimes he goes long. Um, you know, Mark does all the time. It's just, hey, no one's falling out of the window dead, okay? So uh, they go to sleep that night. Uh, Christian wakes up the next morning and he sings here. It's not great poetry, but it's true. Where am I now? Is this the love and care of Jesus for the men that pilgrims are? Thus to provide that I should be forgiven and dwell already the next door to heaven. Notice that last line there. It's like church is a foretaste of heaven, right? He loves where he is and he knows that it's just a preview of the glories that will come. Day two begins. The emphasis is here, uh, one of instruction. He goes through actually, I think like four or five days where he wakes up, you know, goes to bed, they do some stuff. Um, I don't think he's, I think he's just trying to say he's in this church for a long period of time, okay? Again, it's an allegory, okay? Then they read to him, we're almost done here. They read to him some of the notable deeds that many of his servants had done, such as how they had subdued kingdoms. This is just Hebrews 11, okay? Um, Towards the end there, I think, 34 and 35. How they had subdued kingdoms, accomplished righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Yet in weakness they were made strong, thus they became more valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of foreign enemies. The next day, another day three here, right? They led him into the armory where they showed him a great variety of military weapons which their Lord had specially provided for pilgrims. There was the sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, shoes that would never wear out. He mentions there's more than enough armor for any who would desire it. Um, We'll come back to this question at the end, but he's talking about, you know, um, uh, the armor of God that the Spirit equips us with, right? Uh, End of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 there. We'll circle back to that question. I love this next scene. They also showed him some of the military equipment with which many of his servants had done wonderful things. Here was Moses' rod, the hammer and nail with which, shout out to Jael, Jael slew Sisera, right? Is she back here? Yeah, she is, yeah, right? Uh, The pitchers, trumpets, and lamps as as well with which Gideon put to flight the armies of Midian. Then they showed him the ox goad, which, excuse me, the ox goad used by Shamgar to slay 600 men. If you're like, what is he talking about? This is judges, okay? Um, All these people that the Lord raised up. They also showed him the jawbone with which Samson did such mighty feats. Moreover, they showed him the sling and stone with which David slew Goliath of Gath. There was also, these are all past. Now this one to the future. There was also on display the sword with which their Lord, Jesus, would eventually use to kill the man of sin on that day of his final victory over this predator. I really wish we had this in a real museum somewhere. That would be awesome. Um, maybe in heaven, right? Uh, that would be really cool. Um, I, I think it's a great reminder what Bunyan's trying to do of the historical reality of our faith, right? He's trying to show these are real people who really lived, you know, thousands of years ago who the Lord used to do these things. Um, He stays another night. They go up to the top of the palace, show them the delectable mountains. We'll get there later on. Um, But again, it's another metaphor for the church. It even says that uh, they further explain, this is page 69, they further explain that for true pilgrims, it was of the same character as the hill on which their palace was located. So he's saying this is another metaphor for the church, the delectable mountains. Um, so we'll get there when we get there. But you start to add it up, okay? Evangelist represents a pastor. Watchful represents a pastor. The palace beautiful refers to the church. The delectable mountains refer to the church. Bunyan says a lot in Pilgrim's Progress about the church, okay? He's talking about pastors in the church quite a bit. I wrongly assumed years ago, you know, it's much more of just a solo journey and, you know, it's just kind of this guy doing his own thing. It's not the case, okay? Bunyan is very clearly trying to argue for the importance and significance of the church in the Christian life, okay? So he continues on his journey. They go back to the armory. They give him uh, all the armor of God. 
Watchful then tells him that, hey, another Christian passed by here, faithful, uh, which we're going to cross paths with pretty soon. Uh, The four women, they help Christian down the hill of difficulty, um, uh, illustrating, I think, that we need one another, because it actually says he mentions, you know, even with their help, I slipped a couple of times. Uh, We need one another in the Christian walks, that we do not slip and fall and stumble. Um, I kind of wanted to keep this shorter, but I didn't, but that's okay. Um, Just kind of, you know, maybe a couple comments there if you think it's really good, but how does this chapter help you think about the church better, okay? I think one key thing, it's that third question there, is, you know, with the armor of God being given to him at the church, think through, like, how does the church help equip us with the armor of God, right? The sword of the spirit, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, right? Those various things. How does the church help us in doing that? How, if you want to talk about that, that's fine, or just thinking through, wow, this is where I need to think better, true thoughts about the church. Anyone? Haley? Uh-huh. And like I think of I think it was Elijah where God opened up, there's a battle that you don't see and it just mm-hmm. the spiritual realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in speaking of what the church is in the spiritual realm, we don't see the palace beautiful. We see the moles and the ugly things and the broken teeth uh-huh. and all of that, but it's what God sees of the church. It's, right. it's the truth of what the church is. Yeah. Yeah. Good reminder, good. Anyone else? Jeff? I was thinking as you're going through all this, it, it, it emphasizes the importance to me of going, to, you're talking about the gospel, going, that's one of the reasons I read the gospel primer every day, just uh, for each of the day points. But I, I think in context with that, the church, we, we help each other by reminding each other through scripture mm. when we're having those problems of days or whatever. Daily, I mean that—that's where you develop those relationships to be able to uh, speak into one another's lives, open that door for others to speak into yours. Yeah, it's not just Sunday, right? Uh, it's really the test of Sunday is Monday, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and through the rest of the week, and so are we in each other's lives? Do you want others? And I mean, if you don't even want people in your life, that should be a sign warning right there. Yeah. Uh, you should want and should be looking for yeah. individuals that will uh, not just tell, tell you it'll be okay, but to tell you because God's word says this. Yeah. Don't forget this. Yeah. Don't forget your sword. Don't forget your shield. Don't yeah. forget your salvation. Yeah. We have to be in each other's lives. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought of with the, with the armor of God. Um, I'll get there, Liz. Is, you know, why is he saying the church is the one that equips us with this? Is I, I think we're apt to forget pieces of our armor. We're, we're very apt to have, we all have blind spots, right? We're just not seeing things clearly or, um, you know, we stumble in this way. If you're just doing that on your own, you know, you know, it's sure sometimes you can pick yourselves up, but sometimes you can't. And so you need someone else to help you. Um, so, yeah, I think the reality of that is very important. Liz? That'll preach. That's a sermon right there. <laughs> the counterpoints. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah. Very true. Very good. Anything else? Last comment? Good stuff. Lamar?
Yeah, good stuff. All right. Hopefully that was an encouraging chapter, you guys. I really love the palace. Beautiful. Lots of good stuff there. Read it if you haven't. Uh, we'll get next week. Um, Christian enters the Valley of Humiliation, right? Uh, and he fights Apollyon and then also the Valley of the Shadow of Death. We'll probably get into both of those. Um, so read at least the next two chapters for next Sunday. You're dismissed. <laughs>